Our scripture reading this afternoon will come from several places in scripture. First of all, from Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4, the verses 1 through 10. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So far from Genesis. We'll turn also now to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, and we'll read verses 13 through 20. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And he spoke to them a parable, saying, The ground of a certain man, a certain rich man yielded plentifully, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So far from Luke, and then we'll also read James 4. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, 
but he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So far, our reading from the Word of God. We'll also turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism. Every, afternoon, every Sunday afternoon we go there to hear the uh, teaching of the church concerning the doctrines of the Word of God, the confession of this church. And we find ourselves this afternoon in Lord's Day 44. Lord's Day 44, that's on page 558 of your books of praise if you wish to read along. There the question is asked, what does the Tenth Commandment require of us? That not even the slightest thought or desire contrary to any of God's commandments should ever arise in our heart. Rather, with all our heart, we should always hate all sin and delight in all righteousness. But can those converted to God keep these commandments perfectly? No, in this life even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live not only according to some, but to all the commandments of God. If in this life no one can keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, why does God have them preached so strictly? First, so that throughout our life we may more and more become aware of our sinful nature, and therefore seek more eagerly the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ. Second, so that while praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. So far, the reading of the Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, As we look at this, one of the Ten Commandments, the last of the Ten Commandments, it's good for us to just start by thinking about why we as a church look at the Ten Commandments. Why do we study the commandments? Uh, And the big theme that you find when you read through Exodus 20, as well as the surrounding context, is the whole point of the commandments is God has set you free and wants you to know what it means to live as free. We heard that even in this morning's sermon. You are free, so live as a free people. And that's the message of the Ten Commandments as well. I'm the Lord your God who's delivered you from the land of slavery. Now this is how you learn to be free. And that's our purpose then as we also think about this commandment. God wants us to be free from something. God wants us to live as a free People. And that's going to be our purpose then to understand what is it that God wants to free us from and to free us for. Well, the 10th commandment is you shall not covet your neighbor's house, wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, etc., etc. Now, at first glance, as you think about that commandment, you might be asking, why do we actually need that commandment? Sort of an extra. Uh, After all, 
You shall not, com- you shall not covet your neighbor's stuff is already implied in the Eighth Commandment. You shall not steal. Uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. It's already implied in the Seventh Commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Uh, and, and you'd be right. This entire commandment is implied in the others. And yet God still gives it to us, which should tell us there's something important here for us to think about. Something we need to hear. Well, let's start with a definition The Hebrew word that's used for covet is simply the plain old Hebrew word for desire. It's not a special word. It just says you shall not desire your neighbor's uh, stuff. But there's an important qualification in this commandment. The commandment is not you shall not have desires. That's not what it is. Nor is this commandment even you shall not have desires for things. Not that either. Nor is it even, you shall not have desires for things like what your neighbor has. It's not that either. That comes close, but not close enough. What is it? It is, you shall not desire your neighbor's things. Your neighbor's house, wife, possessions, etc. So let me make a distinction here that might be helpful The Tenth Commandment does not say that you cannot drive down the road uh, and see a beautiful house and think, hmm, someday I would love to have a house like that. That may or may not be a sin depending on whether that desire exists in a trusting and contented relationship with the Lord. In other words, there's, there's nothing wrong with setting your mind on something and pursuing that uh, if you're willing to submit to God's will for you. That's simply life. Some of you young people are uh, coming close to the age of having a, a truck or a car and you're already saving up for that and you're planning and maybe you're looking around and saying, hey, I, I would love to have a truck like that. Is that a sin? No. Not if there's a contentment and joy in the Lord. That's, that's just life. Now, some of you families are living in a small house and uh, you're thinking, we would love to get out of this house and into a bigger home. Is that a sin? No, of course it's not. Now, some of you are working on remodeling your kitchen and uh, maybe you're even getting ideas and inspiration from others. Uh, you know who you are. You're, that, you're always in their house and you're looking at the, the cabinets and thinking, oh yeah, that's a really nice idea. Is that a sin? No, it's not a sin. Uh, that's, uh, that's life, provided there's contentment and a trusting relationship with the Lord. What this commandment is forbidding is looking at what God has given to your neighbor and thinking, perhaps even subconsciously, I want that one. I want that house. I want that wife. I want what they have. I want what God has given to them. James, the little brother of the Lord Jesus, gives us a deeper glimpse into what coveting looks like uh, within the confines of the human heart. It's what makes this letter of James such a convicting uh, letter is James has this amazingly accurate insight into the dynamics of the human heart. And so in James 4, he looks out at the congregation that he's writing to, and he asks, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Let me ask you, have you ever been to a church where there were quarrels or fights? 
take that silence as a yes. Are there perhaps ever quarrels and fights in your church? Or, what about this, are there ever quarrels and fights within your church federation? It's a tough one. Here's the thing, James asks the question, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And I guarantee that nobody in the church who's reading that would have responded, well, you know, James, the truth is I struggle with covetousness. No, that's not how they would answer. Uh, they would have said, no, no, what's, what causes quarrels? This brother over here, he causes quarrels. And what they said and what those people are doing over there, that's what causes the fights. And undoubtedly, some of those accusations will be true. People do cause quarrels and fights. In any fight or quarrel, there is sin committed. But what James is saying here is, whatever it is that causes quarrels and fights, the issue is not the issue. The real issue is your heart. The issue that's getting you upset and riled at each other uh, is, is not the issue you think it is. It is rather your heart. Now, you may have a legitimate concern about a certain brother or a legitimate concern about another church, but if that was all it was, if that was all it was, it would not translate into fights and quarrels. It would translate into compassionate, private, patient admonition and correction. What causes fights and quarrels is not what one brother said or what one group is doing. The real issue is coveting. And that's what James says. You desire and do not have, so you commit murder. You look at the sixth commandment. The catechism does a a, a good job on the sixth commandment as well as it unpacks that and reveals all that's underneath the sixth commandment. Uh, And what you see as you look into the sixth commandment, uh, murder, since James is bringing this up, uh, is that there's a lot more to murder than murder. There's hatred and anger, uh, desire of revenge, envy, failure to love others. And James is saying, what causes these fights and quarrels? You envy, you covet, and so you commit murder. So here's the thing, the fact that one brother said something or one group did something uh, does not explain the fact that you, you, are eager to murder that person, to murder their honor and reputation, uh, to, to speak behind their backs, to slander, to assume the worst. That's murder. So what James is saying, what causes the fights and quarrels is desires that are had and unfulfilled, and so they lead to response of murder. Hey, I don't write the mail, uh, I just deliver it, uh, and importantly, it arrives very painfully at my house first. Well, this text teaches us then a couple things about coveting. Uh, Number one, we don't always realize it when we're doing it. We don't always realize that that's the issue. And number two, coveting is not only desiring something that God has not given us, it is also resenting the fact that God has given it to someone else. It's a form of murder. It's worth mentioning that the very first murder that was ever committed was when Cain murdered his brother Abel. And why did he murder him? It was envy. It was envy of the Lord's favor. And you think about this, his coveting, it was not to take something that Abel had to take it for himself. It's not even what Cain wanted. 
What Cain wanted was simply to remove it, to remove it from his brother, or even more, to remove his brother from the picture altogether. Uh, that's, that's why I made the distinction I made at the beginning. Uh, there's nothing wrong with Cain desiring the Lord's favor, desiring what his brother had. Uh, in fact, that's, that's what God even appeals to. Uh, God says, if you do well, would you not also be accepted? He appeals to that desire that Cain uh, had. But, so it was a good desire to be accepted by God. But what Cain did is he resented the fact he hated his brother for having what he did not have. And so he murdered him. Well, that, brothers and sisters, that is covetousness. And I would submit to you that it's a lot more prevalent and a lot more subtle than we uh, tend to think. And we should pause again and remember, why do we study the Ten Commandments? We started with that question. Let's think about that again. We study the Ten Commandments because God wants us to be free. It's not because God is angry. It's not because God wants to condemn. It's because God wants us to be free. And so if we listen to uh, the Ten Commandments as they search our hearts, as uh, the Apostle James searches our hearts, uh, we have to watch out for that inner lawyer that stands in among us and very quickly raises up his hand and says, Objection, Your Honor, that's not the issue. The issue really is what that brother said or what that group is doing. It's not my covetousness. Well, we're not here to justify ourselves. We're not here to defend ourselves. We're here to listen uh, and to see where we might yet be enslaved, where God is calling us to be free. So let's not justify ourselves. Let's examine ourselves. Going back then to covetousness. It's not just desiring what God has given our neighbor. It's resenting the fact that God has given to them. That's the point we just established. So it's, it's not just, I want the Joneses' house. It's, I hate the Joneses. And I may not even realize it's because of the house that I am coveting. Now the 10th commandment presents us with a list of all sorts of different things uh, we tend to covet. It's obviously an incomplete list. It's there to get us started in thinking about this sin. That's why it ends with, or anything that is your neighbor's. So it's anything that we desire and that we resent the fact that God has given it to someone else and not to us. It's anything for which we would think it's not fair that God gives that to them. It starts with houses. Your house, of course, is indicative of, of your wealth uh, and your, your financial well-being. That was true then in, in the days of Moses. It's true now as well. Uh, now, it might be blatantly lying about your wealth. Uh, houses can do that as well. That's why many people are up to their necks in debt, uh, paying for houses they can't afford, uh, but generally, houses are indicative of wealth, and so it's understandable the commandment starts there. Do you envy your neighbor's house? Who of us has not envied uh, our neighbor's uh, financial well-being and position? It goes on. Uh, it mentions your neighbor's wife, and conversely, of course, for women, your neighbor's husband. Uh, you could extend this even to your neighbor's marriage uh, in general. God, why is my marriage so hard and that person's marriage so easy? 
Why does my spouse have all these problems? Uh, and, and that couple over there just in, seems to enjoy the sweetness of a healthy marriage. It's not fair. That person gets it so good, and this is what God gives to me. Well, that's covetousness. It's not only then, again, desiring what God has given, a healthy marriage. You should. You, you should desire that and fight for that. It's resenting the fact that God has given it to someone else. The commandment mentions oxen, donkey, servants. Uh, in our day, the equivalent would be uh, tractors, cars, other tools. These are means of production. So you can imagine you're an Israelite farmer and, and you're out there in the hot sun uh, with a single donkey and it takes you an entire week to plow your field. Uh, and then on the last day of the week, you look over at your neighbor's field and there he is with his two oxen getting the whole job done in a couple of hours. And you think, hey, that's not fair. I have to work seven times as hard as that man to get the same job done. It's not right. That's covetousness. By the way, this is as good a time as any to mention, to make this point that Scripture often makes. One of the features of covetousness is it robs you of what would otherwise have been contentment. If you spent all week plowing that field, uh, and it took all your neighbors seven days as well to plow their fields, uh, you'd all be celebrating at the end of a, a, a week's hard work. You'd be celebrating together. But when you see someone else's blessings and it robs you of your contentment and your gratitude and your joy in what God has given you, that, that is covetousness. How many of you had this? I, I know I have where uh, you, you got a great deal on something uh, and you came home rejoicing. You're like, man, I really got a steal on that. Uh, and then you found out later someone else actually got an even better deal. Uh, and it just it robs you, it deflates you of all of your joy. Well, nothing changed about the deal that you got. It's covetousness as you're looking over uh, your shoulder at your neighbor. And covetousness really is a, a form of insanity. What we used to rejoice in, uh, we're now miserable about. It's one of the points the Lord Jesus made when he told a parable of these hired workers, uh, servants working in the fields, each agrees to work for a day's wages. Some start at uh, six in the morning and others start at four in the afternoon. uh, And they end up getting the same wages. And those who are very happy to work for that wage in the morning are suddenly miserable because their fellow worker uh, got to start at four uh, and get the same wage at the end of the day. That's covetousness. Well, the commandment includes as well, uh, just to, as a catch-all, uh, anything that belongs to your neighbor. So what else might we include in the, the list of things that we tend to covet? Maybe good grades? Again, it's not, it's not just, I wish I had those. It's, I hate that person or I resent that person for having them. Good grades, more friends. Uh, the fact that uh, that person always seems to say and do the right thing. You know, you know that person. Uh, good looks, physical fitness, sports abilities, smarts, better family, maybe wealthier. And again, the issue is always I resent that they have it. And going back then to James, what James is calling us to do is to be brutally honest with ourselves as we examine our own hearts on this commandment. If there's one thing 
that the human heart excels at above everything else. It is self-deception. Jeremiah 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so when it comes to this commandment, we are experts at deceiving ourselves on this commandment. Uh, we, We hide our covetousness from ourselves. All we know is, I hate that guy. I don't like him. Uh, Yeah, he just happens to have a better home or a more attractive spouse or better personal relationships, but that has nothing to do with why I hate him. I just don't like him. We deceive ourselves. Maybe you've heard this. Uh, It's not that I'm jealous that he's better at sports than me. I just don't like him because he thinks he's so cool. You heard that? That's covetousness. Or It's not that I'm jealous that she's prettier or more popular or happier than me. I just don't like her because she's so stuck up. It's covetousness. We lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. Or it's not just that it's not that I'm jealous that that person has a better relationship with the Lord. I just think they're so self-righteous, said Cain right before he killed his brother Abel. It's very, very easy for us to lie to ourselves on this point. We can always find a reason to dislike someone else when the real issue is jealousy or discontent with what God has given us. And we can always come up with a plausible explanation for our coldness or our uh, tendency to criticize uh, an explanation that has nothing to do with the real issue, which is our own uh, discontent. But it's self-deception, and what James is teaching us is to be honest with ourselves. What causes the fights and quarrels among you? It is your heart. It is your covetousness. And so we need to learn to say to ourselves, who am I kidding? Who am I kidding? It is about envy. It is about bitterness against God because he's given to them what he hasn't given to me. But now let's take this to our relationship with God because that really is the heart of the matter. The issue behind our covetousness is not even so much the breakdown between us and our brother. It is primarily the breakdown in the relationship between us and our God. That's what James says. James 4 verse 2, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have... Because you do not ask. Oh, oh, that's what it's about. Why am I not asking my God for that which I long for? Here's the real issue. You don't have because you don't ask. I'm bitter against my brother because of blessings that he enjoys that I don't. And I don't even ask for them myself. Why am I not asking God? See, again, this commandment, it doesn't come from a cold lawgiver uh, who just wants to give us uh, a law to condemn. It comes from our Father, a Father who loves us, who loves to give good gifts to His children. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus taught us? Matthew 7, verse 9, Which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Isn't that exactly the issue? Your Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to His children. 
He owns the entire universe. He can give anything. He can give whatever it is that you are coveting in your neighbor. Uh, If he wanted to make you physically fit or attractive or smart or popular, he can do that. He's, He's not short on resources. I'm not saying he will. He knows what is best for you. Uh, But the question we need to work through is, why do you not ask? I know I've done this. Resented my brother for things that they had that I didn't have that I've never asked God for myself. Uh, The things that we're so jealous of that we're willing to hate or slander uh, or criticize or attack our neighbor or our brother, have you even asked God, your Father, for those things? That's not wrong, again, to desire a a bigger house or a better portfolio or or certainly not a, a healthier, more happy marriage. Those are not wrong things to desire. And so the question is, are you asking God for that? If not, why not? Some of us might say, well, I do, I do ask God. Uh, I've asked for those things and God uh, doesn't come through for me. Well, James has a bit more to say yet. Sometimes, sometimes we ask and we don't receive because we're asking with the wrong motives. Now, James is not saying here that every time we ask for something from God and God doesn't uh, give uh, in his wisdom what, we, what we're asking for, that it must be because we're asking with the wrong motives. That's not James's point. Our motives might be pure. The Lord Jesus himself prayed, Father, remove this cup from me. And the Lord uh, did not give, uh, God the Father did not give what the Lord Jesus asked. Paul, the Apostle Paul, asked that God would remove a thorn from his flesh that had afflicted him for years, and God did not remove it. Sometimes God has better plans for us than we, in the middle of our sufferings, uh, are able to understand. But when it comes to envy... The heart of the question really is, how is your relationship with God your Father? Is our heart so aligned with our Father's heart that we desire the things that He desires? Or do we have different motives? Do we see God as a means to our own ends, to getting what we want? Uh, And do we say, as we sometimes do, or at least our hearts sometimes do, Either God is going to give me what I want, or I don't owe him my love and my trust. We do that. Uh, This is the heart of the issue. Do we love and trust our Father? That what he's given us is for our good, is given with wisdom and good plans. Coveting really begins with discontentment with God. It begins with wanting what God doesn't want from us, with refusing to trust that his plans are good. It begins with a heart that is far from God. So, brothers and sisters, really, this, this tenth commandment goes right back to the first commandment. You shall have no other gods but me. The highest and greatest and ultimate purpose for which you were made and for which I was made is to know God, to love him, and to live with him for his glory and for my joy. We were made to be deeply, fully, intimately satisfied with our God. And so the first commandment teaches us that's what you were made for, that's what you exist for, and now the last commandment asks it, uh, as it were, as a question, now are you, are you truly walking with your God? 
If we are, we will know that he's fully capable of providing us with all that we desire and loves to give good gifts to his children. And that means if God doesn't give us what we desire, then it's either because uh, those things would not be good for us or because we're not ready for them yet. The question we need to ask that James is calling us to ask is, how then is your relationship with your father? We see this in Luke 12 as well. We read that little parable in Luke 12 of the man who builds his barns. Uh, So Jesus was teaching the crowds and this man yells out from the crowd, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Uh, And the Lord Jesus' response is surprising because it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the question. Uh, But he responds with this parable of a man whose crops did well. Uh, And and this man then says to himself, uh, what will I do uh, with all these crops? And he says, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones to store my crops. And then I'll say to myself, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Rest, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then whose will your possessions be? And the conclusion that Jesus gives to this parable is, so it is with the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There are many things we could take from this parable, but our focus here is on the issue of coveting. Uh, So the question I want to ask is, what's actually wrong with the man in Jesus' parable? What did he do wrong? There's nothing wrong with building bigger barns to store uh, one's crops. It's not a sin. But there are two things missing in this man's perspective. Number one, he couldn't see past himself. The only people you find in this parable is me, myself, and I. There's no concern for his neighbor, and even more importantly, there's no regard for God. And number two, he couldn't see past this life. Uh, not, Not once does it occur to him what must necessarily happen after this life. And that's the point Jesus makes. One's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. There's the old adage that uh, burial shrouds have no pockets. You can't take any of that stuff with you. And and something else about this. uh, This sin, this sin of desiring possessions, of finding one's life in possessions instead of with God, it's a sin that does not discriminate on the basis of age. You see this. You see it even in Scripture. Some of the most covetousness and bitter people are, are elderly people. People that are looking back on their life angry that someone else has it better, that someone else had a fuller life or a bigger family or an easier retirement or better health. And again, the question is, what is your relationship with your father? The best way to to not be an old, bitter, covetous person is to not be a young, bitter, covetous person. Remember, as Ecclesiastes says in chapter 12, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And that's a book that deals entirely with the issue of envy. Remember your Creator because the only alternative is a life of envy. So this commandment, it's, 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 it's fundamentally not about our relationship with stuff or even so much with our neighbor, though it touches on that, it is fundamentally about our relationship with our God. 
That's the heart of the issue. Do you walk with your God? Do you trust your God? Let me make just a couple of comments about the Lord's Day in the Catechism, and we'll close with that. Uh, you'll notice, oddly enough, that the, the Catechism, uh, the Lord's Day, doesn't actually say anything about coveting, even though that's the whole commandment, is you shall not covet. Instead, it wants to talk about any desire that we might harbor against any of God's commandments. Uh, the reason for that is because this commandment is, is fundamentally about all of our desires and particularly about our deepest desires. What do we live for? What do we find satisfaction in? Uh, coveting uh, is, is a having desires that come from a heart that's not reckoned with God, that's not true to God. That's the point that James makes as well. Uh, This is all about your relationship with God. And what's the greatest commandment after all? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. One of the reactions that, uh, that we should have then as we read the Ten Commandments and reflect on these things, uh, as we see the envy that lives within us is, 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 I still have a long ways to go. Uh, I, I am so far from loving God with all my heart. And that's why question answer 114 is also there. It's there to ask, is there any hope for covetousness, bitter people like us, whose hearts really are so often far from God? And maybe it sounds wonderful to have that kind of relationship with God where you're walking with Him and trusting Him, uh, and yet you look honestly at your own life and you conclude, uh, that's just not realistic. I, I don't live that way. Well, the Catechism is honest. It does admit even the holiest have only a small beginning of that obedience. Uh, The more you grow in holiness, the more you realize how far there still is to go. But, but it also says with earnest purpose, uh, we do begin to live not only according to some of God's commandments, but even, believe it or not, according to all of God's commandments. In other words, there is freedom to be found. And God doesn't give His commandments in vain. He wants us to be free, and we do increasingly find freedom. That's the power of the Spirit. As we walk with God, we find real freedom. And so question and answer 115 asks, why do we do this to ourselves then? Why do we read the Ten Commandments and and study them year after year? Well, for two simple reasons. Number one, so that more and more we can see our sin. So we become aware of our sin uh, and, and therefore run to Christ. That's why the gospel exists, that we would run to the one in whom our sins are forgiven. There's only one place we'll ever find forgiveness for a sinful, bitter, covetous heart. God does not hate us for that heart because that, that sin has been crucified to the cross. Uh, so uh, we, we turn to Christ seeking both forgiveness for our sins, uh, for our failure to know God, love Him, and live with Him. And, and secondly, we turn to Him for a new heart. We turn to Him for that freedom that He gives us through the cross. Uh, so that's one reason we, we uh, do this year after year. And the second reason is so that while praying to God for the grace of the Spirit, uh, the Catechism says we may never stop striving to be renewed more and more after God's image until, we, until after this life we reach the goal of perfection. 
know that this is not a hopeless struggle. Yes, the Catechism is honest that perfection, perfection only comes after this life. But in this life, there is real growth by the power of the Spirit. And that growth is deeply worth it. It's deeply rewarding. It's the breaking of chains that have held you in bondage, looking over your shoulder uh, in envy at your neighbor. Uh, uh, Proverbs says that jealousy rots the bones, and it does. Jealousy rots our bones. And so God gives this to us that we might find freedom uh, and discover more and more what it means to live as a free people. And that's an amazing and, and joyful experience. Yes, it's a hard struggle. That fight against covetousness is a day-by-day fight. Uh, and sometimes a very painful struggle. Because we have all that bitterness. We have all that resentment. And we must bring that before the cross. But it's a worthwhile struggle as we grow in holiness and grow nearer to our God. So brothers and sisters, do be honest with yourselves do search your hearts. Don't believe the first impulse that says it's not me, it's them. Uh, but also continue to pray and continue to experience with joy the, the, the experience of witnessing God's power, God's work within you, changing you, making you more like Christ. Amen.